Uh, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. I'll refer to some other scriptures before we get there, but, um, uh, but we'll just make reference to them rather than have you turn. You know, the Bible makes some, some well, I'm, I'm tempted to say outlandish promises to us because they are promises that even though they are conditional, they are without limit. Uh, for example, Matthew chapter 17 says, Jesus said to his disciples, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible to you. Mark 9 verse 23, Jesus talking to another individual during his earthly ministry, said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Over and over again, the Bible says there's no limit to what we can receive and what we can do in the name of Jesus and for the benefit of, of uh, the body of Christ. Now in John chapter 14, Jesus said in verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask, this word ask means to call for, require, or make a demand on. Whatsoever you shall call for, ask, or make a demand on, in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He goes on in verse 14 and says, If you shall ask, same word, call for, require, demand, anything in my name, I will do it. He goes on in uh, uh, John chapter 15, in verse 7, he said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. This is the same word I ask, call for, require, demand. He's not talking about petition. He's talking about using the name of Jesus, making a claim on the name of Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall call for, ask, or require what you will, and it shall be done unto you herein. In other words, you getting answers to your prayer or your faith working and bringing things into reality. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God's glorified when you receive the answers to your prayer or receive the answers to your faith. John chapter 16, verse 23 Jesus said, and in that day, talking about the day of his resurrection, the church age, and in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask, call for, require, demand, the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto, up till now, you have asked, same word, call for, require, demand. Hitherto, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be full. I'll remind you also of Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sent out the 70 and they returned with, uh, with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your, in your name. And Jesus said, Behold, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Now, he's not talking about at that moment or when they used his name. He's talking about that's the fallen state of the enemy when he rebelled against God. He said, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, when you, when you couple these promises together and think about it from a big picture standpoint, Jesus is saying the sky is the limit. He's saying there is no limitation on what you can have. There is no limitation in the power of God that you can operate in. There is no limitation on what we can receive from God. Now, in my thinking, there, you can't get any better news than that. However, it's interesting 
And we'll look at some of these scriptures. But it's interesting that when you get over into the epistles, the letters written to the church, every writer that writes to the church talks about not giving up. Now, how do those things fit together? If the sky's the limit, so to speak, in receiving from God or operating in the power of God or exercising authority over the devil, and the, the Bible has to be true. If it's the word of God, it has to be true. If that's the case, then why does the Bible talk so much about not giving up? You know what gets most people, and here's what I mean by that. You know what causes most people to turn loose? of uh, the things that they prayed for and the, the promises in the word that they, that they see belong to them and they start off in. You know what causes people to turn loose of those? It's not usually some major attack, although we are from time to time always undergoing the world's system attacks and so forth. But it's very rarely some major attack or some big event that happens that shakes people's core and shakes them away from their faith. You know what it is? It's the daily grind. It's the daily grind. The simple reality is this. The life of faith will have points, moments in time, that will be such victories that will make the whole, your whole life, your whole existence seem adventurous. But the reality is most of life is routine. And it's not what you do in those moments of victory that count. It's what you do in the routine days that really make the difference. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. Let me show you some things that the, uh, the Holy Ghost inspired the writers of the epistles to write to us. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has written the most doctrinally concise and complete letter to the Ephesian church of any of the other churches that he wrote to. And he says, finally, my brethren, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. In other words, this is the final thought. I want to leave you with the most important thing. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now get this phrase. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now, if, if the promises that the Lord made to us about nothing being impossible to us, whatever you call for or require in my name, that will I do. Whatever questions you ask of the Father in John 16, 23, whatever questions you ask of the Father in the name of Jesus, he'll give it to you. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains and nothing will be impossible to you. And if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. If those promises are instantaneous, then what's there to stand for? But notice there's not only a standing period, there's a preparation to standing period. Having done all to stand. That's preparation. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now that's why a lot of people don't make it. A lot of people don't make the preparations to stand because they're not expecting to have to. They just hear the, the promise, whatever you call for or ask in my name, that will I do. 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son, that Jesus said in John chapter 14. They hear that and think, well, that's all there is to it then. It's just a matter of calling on the name of Jesus, making the demand on the name of Jesus for finances or healing or, or whatever blessing I need. That's all there is to it. Well, if that was the case, Paul never figured it out. Because Paul talked about the, the, the process, the means whereby we are strong in the Lord and obtain victory is recognizing your enemy, knowing how your enemy works, making preparations for the work of the enemy, and then persevering through his work. His work against you and his attacks and so forth. In other words, surviving the routine. Or we might say it this way. I really don't like to use this term, but it's something we'll all be able to relate to. Survive the waiting period. Now, what does he say to do? Well, make preparations and then don't give up. No matter what, don't give up. And notice how, uh, uh, how John said it. Turn with me over to 1 John chapter 3. Now, John writes a little bit differently than the others. He writes at a different point in time and, uh, and writes in more of a, a general we might say a generic manner rather than writing specifically to churches concerning their situations and so forth. And so consequently, his is a little bit less specific, but he still has the same information. Notice he starts off in uh, verse one. He said, beloved, what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now notice verse two. Thank God we're sons of God. Sky's the limit. Our Heavenly Father will provide for us anything and everything we have to make a demand on. Anything and everything that was accomplished through the work of Jesus. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Not going to be someday in the sweet by and by. We are now. But then notice what it says. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You know what a modern translation of that would say? Beloved, now we're the sons of God, even though we may not look like it. Well, why wouldn't we look like it? What would keep us from looking like the sons of God, the heirs of the promises that the Bible has made to us? What would keep us from looking in the manner or looking like the Bible says we already are? Well, the troubles and the sufferings and the situations that we encounter in life. That's why he goes further. And says in chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever, literally whosoever, is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Why is he having to tell us about the means of victory that will cause us to overcome the world? If everybody's already walking in victory, then there certainly wouldn't be any reason to tell us that. Because we're constantly under the attack of the enemy. And a big part of the attack, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself. But a big part of the attack is the routine of life. The day by day by day by day by day. Look what Peter said. Turn with me over to First Peter chapter 1.
I'm going to start in verse 3 and read down through probably verse 9, I think. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Thank God we're born again. To an inheritance. We have an inheritance. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This word kept means to mount guard as a garrison of soldiers. You're kept by the power of God. Now, that's not something that the Bible says you can be kept by the power of God. It says you are. Well, are any of you in situations where it doesn't look like the power of God is mounting guard around you like a garrison of soldiers? We all experience that from time to time, don't we? Wherein, knowing this truth, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, perisheth, Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In other words, the Bible is saying we've got things and things are available to us that it might not look like we have because of the circumstances and the situations we're in. Chapter 4. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Good news, huh? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing has happened unto you. In other words, Peter is saying by the Holy Ghost, this is how it works with everybody. Now, folks, I understand that this is not going to be an amen service. Not one of those sermons that's going to get everybody running around the room for serve. But notice it again. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never found that to be a happy occasion. So you're going to have to look beyond the circumstance. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On your part, he is evil spoken of, but on, I'm sorry, on their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. Every writer that writes to the church says, though things may not look like what Jesus has promised and what Jesus has obtained and purchased for us. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Well, what are we to do? What are we to do? If we're supposed to stand, therefore, 
then we need to answer some questions for ourselves. First of all, how long do we stand? Folks, that is the question. How long are you willing to stand? Because you can count on one thing, the devil is going to take you to what he thinks is your break point. So how long do we stand? Well, the Bible says stand till you receive the promise. The Bible says don't give up until you have what you've asked for. The Bible says don't give up until you receive that which you've made a claim on. Yeah, but how long is that going to be, Pastor Mike? I don't know. I don't control the time situations. Boy, I wish I did. But nobody does. So how long are we going to have to stand? Well, until we receive the promise. How long is that going to be? Might be longer than you think that it will. You know, one of the things I found that uh, I've been doing this for over 30 years now, pastoring the church for over 30 years in ministry for a few years beyond that. And one of the things that I've noticed is the people that make it, the people that are, that receive the promise and walk in victory. They're not the ones that are putting time limits on God. The ones that are saying, well, I better get my answer by Thursday. Those are the people that never do receive. The ones that are imposing some kind of limits and, and, and they may think they're doing it appropriately, but I've never seen anybody that put limits on God or on when things had to work and received because in every one of those situations that I'm familiar with it went beyond their time limit then they've got questions to answer and in many cases they'll put their faith on that time or that date as being a part of what they're believing for well then what do you turn loose of your faith when you cross that date you're certainly going to have to, que- have to answer the questions, what were you believing for? Were you believing accurately or not? For that reason, I don't like to add anything to the Word. I like to stick with just what the Bible says. There are enough opportunities that I've had to misinterpret certain things, to think that it means at a, t- at a particular time when it doesn't that I certainly don't want to add to that by trying to impose my own times. So we're going to have to prepare to stand. How long? I don't know, folks. I'm, I'm kind of the opinion that if you're prepared to stand forever, then you won't have to. But really, I guess it comes down to the one question, and that is, how long is the word good for? If the word is truth, and we know the, de- the way the devil works, and of course the devil makes you think that the delay is God's fault when he's the one that's bringing the fiery trials to you and so forth. He's the one trying to use circumstances to turn you away from the truth of the word. But if the word is true, then it has no expiration date. And neither do you. It's the routine that gets most folks. 
It's the daily grind that wears most people down. I think that's why Paul is impressed by the Holy Ghost and inspired to tell us that you're going to have to prepare for it. You're going to have to prepare to stand. Well, what are we going to do? What does standing look like? Well, James chapter 1 says in verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Turn with me over to Hebrews. I believe Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews. It's certainly his message. And he says a lot about what standing looks like without calling it in those terms or describing it in that manner. Notice he says in uh, verse 23 of chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. In other words, don't give up. Without wavering means don't change it. Don't give up on it. Start with professing your faith in God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So really it's a confession of what God's word says about your situation. And don't give up. That's what without wavering means. It means don't change. Don't turn loose. Don't give up. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Hold fast would mean to continue. The profession, the word profession is the same word translated confession throughout the New Testament. Let us hold fast or continue in the confession of our faith without wavering. Yeah, but what if it goes longer than we thought that it would? Is that a good reason to waver? Notice Paul didn't say hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering unless it goes too long. This is inspired by the Holy Ghost. And he didn't give us a reason to change or turn loose. Instead, he gave us instruction, don't give up. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. For he is faithful that promised. In other words, he's saying, if you just won't turn loose the confession of your faith, you will receive. You will receive. One of the works of the devil is he'll always tell you your faith's not working. Brother Hagin said something about the Lord many, many years ago when I was in Bible school. Probably said it many years before that, but I heard it first when I was in Bible school in the early 80s, 1980s. And I took, really took it to heart because it made sense to me. Brother Hagin's one of the first preachers that ever really made sense to me. And it ministered to my heart and it caused me to realize things about the word of God and the truth of God's word. But he said this. He said, I go as much by what God doesn't say as what he does say. Well, I found that same thing is true where the devil is concerned. We know that the devil is a liar. Now, if your faith really wasn't working, would the devil want you to want to alert you to that? Seems like if your faith is not working, if your faith is... Uh, incorrectly applied, if you're saying the wrong things, if you're believing the wrong things, it seems to me that's the place where the devil would be the quietest to leave you alone in your error. Knowing that that error would keep you from receiving what you really want. But that's not what he does. He tells you that what you're saying won't work. 
Now, there's only one reason that he would tell you that, and that is because he knows you're on the right track to receiving, and he doesn't want you to receive. But that's the very thing that causes a lot of people to get upset and concerned and think that they're doing the wrong thing because the devil told them they're doing the wrong thing. Don't take a liar's word for it. Here you've got the word of the Holy Ghost. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. Don't give up. Don't change a thing. Because God is faithful who promised. It will work. It may not work in the time frame that you want it to work. But it will work. And let me also tell you this. When it finally does work, you won't care nearly so much about the time that it took. There's something about receiving the promise that makes all the time just melt away. He goes even further in verse 35 of chapter 10 of Hebrews. And he says, cast not away therefore your confidence. Now why would the Holy Ghost inspire Paul to say, don't turn loose? Because he knows, as we're supposed to know, the work of the devil is to make you concerned through circumstances through thoughts, through emotions to such a degree that it causes you to turn loose. In other words, the Holy Ghost is saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Well, what would make us give up? Time makes a lot of people give up. The pressure they're under because of the delay is what makes a lot of people give up. But the Bible says, the Holy Ghost said, God said to us, cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Now please notice, as far as the Holy Ghost is concerned, as far as God's perspective, as revealed to us in the Bible is concerned, the answer is a guarantee. If you just don't give up. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the answer is guaranteed to those that aren't operating in faith. The confidence he's talking about here is the faith, the profession of faith that was spoken of in verse 23. The blessings of God just don't work for you. A certain time comes and everything falls in your lap. But the blessings of God are received by those that work what the Bible identifies as faith, believing in God's word and confessing it with their mouth. So the Bible says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, your faith, in other words, your profession of faith, your confidence, your your faith is, is exercised and exhibited by the words of your mouth. He says, cast not away your confidence, therefore, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience. Now, folks. If there's one verse of scripture I'd like to argue with in the Bible, this is it. I don't need patience. We all do, don't we? You know when you stop needing patience? When time is no longer an issue. When you're not looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, when? When instead you say to the Lord, Lord, your word is true, no matter when. 
Paul is saying, don't cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God. Now, what is doing the will of God? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So doing the will of God has to be an exercise of faith. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, exercised your faith, you might receive. Now, the word might is literally the word would. It's an active word. It's a declarative word. You would receive the promise. In other words, here's the Holy Ghost saying again, the promise is guaranteed. If you exercise faith by speaking God's word and don't give up, it's a guarantee. Now, we could tell stories of promises received and things that have happened to me and you and and all of us in the room about how God's come through. And every one of those stories can be overcome by the thought of the enemy, the devil's thought planted in your mind, that, yeah, but their situation is different than yours. There is no greater story than the Bible's promise. There is no greater story than the reality, and it is a reality, folks. This is not fairy tale stuff. This is not Santa Claus and Easter Bunny. It is a reality that this Bible is spoken by the Holy Ghost, spoken through men, but inspired by the Holy Ghost, which makes it the unchanging, eternal Word of God. And the Holy Ghost is saying... God's word always works for those that confess it and refuse to give up. And that's everything that the work of the enemy is is about, is to make you quit. To make you quit. One of the things the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. I think one of the most important ones in the, in, as far as the operation of faith is concerned is faithfulness. Faithfulness means perseverance. It means an unwillingness to give up. And it's a character trait that's developed over time. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have that overnight? Wouldn't it be great if you could develop patience overnight, instantly, So that we'd always have that faith and patience that receives the promise. And in many respects, I think that's why Jesus got so many instant results. We'd have to say that Jesus was a a perfect exhibition and example of the character traits of God, the fruit of the Spirit. I think we'd all agree on that, wouldn't we? Time was never an issue for Jesus. He was so greatly developed the time was not an issue. Jesus didn't curse the fig tree in Mark chapter 11 and then watch to see what was going to happen when. He cursed the fig tree and went his way and knew that it was done. Now, we don't have any indication that he knew that it would be by the next morning. It's possible that he did, but if, it, if that was the case, the Bible doesn't tell us. So I don't think we can add that in or read that into the Scripture since the Bible doesn't give us that specific information. But I I would go so far as to say when it happened didn't matter to him. He went on to other things. He cursed the fig tree and moved on. 
knowing full well that his words would come to pass. Just like he told us that we were supposed to believe that our words would come to pass too so that we would have what we say just like he did. The Bible tells us again and again and again, nothing shall be impossible to you. We know that if you put these scriptures together, the promises that Jesus made to us and the words of the Holy, Sp- the Holy Spirit written to the church through the various writers in the New Testament, we know that that means, and don't give up. You can have whatever you desire. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and they shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. How are you going to bear that fruit? By not giving up. Jesus said, whatsoever you call for or require in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you call for or require anything in my name, that I will do it, he said. What What do we know from other scriptures that that entails? And don't give up. May not happen overnight. May not be an instant result. So don't give up. You know one of the greatest tragedies of all eternity is going to be? People that get to heaven and are able to look back on their life and see how close they were to receiving the things that they gave up on and have to face the fact that they were defeated by time. I'm not going to be defeated by time. What about you? It's going to take a whole lot more than that to whip me. I'm just not going to be defeated by time. And really, that's all the devil's got. That's why the Bible says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The power of God in you, if you don't give up on it, if you don't give up on your faith, the power of God in you, it may not look like it's in you, it may not look like it's working in you, but the power of God in you because you're a child of God will receive every time. We'll see you through to the finish line. I think a lot of people are going to get to heaven and realize they got right to the edge of the finish line and then pulled up and quit. And spiritually, I think that's exactly what it's going to look like. That's why Paul said, I've run my race. I've kept the faith. I'm not giving up. Paul gives us a list of all the things that he wouldn't let make him quit. You shipwrecked in prison over and over again, beaten, stoned and left for dead. That list in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is a list of all the things that wouldn't defeat Paul or couldn't defeat him. He wouldn't give up. What an appropriate individual for God to use to tell us, don't give up. Don't you agree? He knew what he was talking about. He wasn't some Bible school teacher sitting back in a padded chair in an office saying, here's what God wants for you. He's out there on the front lines. He's experiencing anything and everything the devil's got. And what's his message? Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Don't give up. Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Don't give up. Don't give up. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your word is true. We thank you that it brings us confidence to speak it. You promised us, Lord, that if we spoke our faith, spoke your word, and believed that our words would come to pass and would have whatever we said. So therefore, Father, we've chosen to do that. We've chosen to believe for our healing. We've chosen to believe for other blessings that Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. The devil has attacked us as he always does. He's tried to delay us from receiving and then to cause that delay to make us change our confession. But Father, we commit to you that even as we have not given up as yet, we will never give up because we believe your word is true. Satan, we serve notice on you. We will not be defeated by time. We will not be defeated by the trials that you bring against us. We will not be defeated by any work of of yours. We will not be defeated because God's word is true. Thank you, Father, for the guarantee that we have of your word coming to pass in our lives and in our bodies. In Jesus' precious name. If you can agree with that, say amen. Amen. Folks, I've got a message for you. Don't give up. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.